Okay, um, just a little refresher, uh, reminding you kind of, a, of last week, we talked about this dialogue that God had with Abraham as these two other men, these angels, uh, were walking to Sodom. They're getting ready to declare judgment on Sodom and bring Lot and his family um, to, to a safe place. Okay, and we talked about um, prayer. We talked about praying for those that are lost. Okay, so after this dialogue, we see what happens in the story in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Before I get into the text, before we dive in, we're going to see here, to sum it up, we're going to go through the whole chapter. It's 38 verses, so it's kind of a lot, but we're going to do it. I believe we can do it. Um, we're going to see this progression of compromise in Lot's life. And that brings me to the title of this teaching, simply the progression of compromise. Okay, so we're going to look at Lot's life. We're going to look at how, how compromise affected him, how it affects us. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Says now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So we see these two angels. Remember back in Genesis chapter 18, there was three men. Two of these were angels. One of them was the Lord. We talked about that previously. So. Um, these men are, are coming to give a message to Lot that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. Not only that, we'll see that they're there to protect him and his family. We see here, Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Okay, Interesting. We learn a lot just right there. Lot was sitting in the gate. The gate was a place of prominence. You were a, a, a leader if you were sitting in the gate. Okay, So this means that Lot is a leader in Sodom. But how did he get there? Last thing we read was Lot chose a land. It was a little bit away from Sodom, but we see if you flip back to Genesis chapter 13, the progression of the compromise in Lot's life. Look at this. If you look at a few verses, we see in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is right by where Sodom and, and Gomorrah are. Okay, So he sets his eyes because the land looks good. Remember, um, back in Luke's teaching, he talked about in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 13, how you know, Abraham uh, gave Lot the option. They were having some division and some disputes about the, the sheep. Uh, the flocks and the shepherds getting in these, oh, we're in this land, no, we're in this land, yada, 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 this thing happened. So Abraham, being a man of God, says, hey, okay, this is what we're going to do. We need to divide the land somehow, some way. I'm going to give you first dibs. And Lot chooses this land by Sodom. If you stay there in Genesis chapter 13, look at verse 12. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pinched his tent even as far as as Sodom. Old King James, it says, towards Sodom. So he looked towards Sodom, set his eyes on Sodom. Then he set up his tent facing Sodom. Next thing we see here, he's in Sodom. He's living in Sodom. We see the progression of compromise in Lot's life. It started with just looking. Man, this land looks good. There's lots of green pastures. I can make a living here. This is good for my family. This is good for my sheep. Business is going to be great. This is well-watered land, the Bible says. And this is where it starts. It starts small. Bringing me to my first point. Compromise starts small and gets worse. Compromise starts small and gets worse. So he set his eye towards Sodom. Practically, it made sense. This was a a great place to set up shop, but spiritually it was the worst place he could have been. And we see that compromise in this setting, in Lot's scenario, it started with his eyes. 
remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, that the lamp of the body is the eye. What we allow to come in the eye affects us on the inside, and it also affects us again on the outside. We let it come into our eyes, comes into our minds, it defiles our hearts, and it affects our actions in the way we live. And that's exactly what we see happen here to Lot. He set his eyes on this thing, and then he pitched his tent. He affected his actions. He began to live outside of Sodom, towards Sodom. It can be the same for us. We can set our eyes on things that, in and of themselves, they aren't necessarily bad, but they can become things that defile us completely. Simple things. Cars, money, nice houses, um, material things in general. In and of themselves, they aren't a bad thing, but when we're setting our eyes on those things and we begin to get so focused on those things, eventually it affects the way that we behave. We're giving too much attention to those things and we can essentially make idols out of those things. So we see Lot set his eyes towards Sodom. He pitches his tent towards Sodom. And that's what happens with our sin. After I set my eyes on it, I begin to live right outside of it just right on the edge of temptation, but right on the edge of temptation, I'm constantly tempted by it. What's happening over there? What's happening in Sodom? There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of people. Looks like a lot's going on there. That looks cool. That looks appealing. That looks appetizing. And I'm just right outside of it. I'm not in it. I'm not in the sin. I'm just out here. I looked at it and I'm living by it, but I'm not in it. And just as Lot started to, once he set his eyes on it, he set up his tent by it, he began to make comfortable decisions instead of spiritual decisions. I'm making decisions to provide for my family practically, but not spiritually. This sounds good, right? This looks good on the outside, well-watered. Everything looks good. But it's not what God wanted for Lot. He robbed his family spiritually, and we're going to see how it affected every member of his family, these compromises in his life. So now he's living in Sodom, sitting in the gate in Sodom. That's exactly what happens to the progression of our sin. It's James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We see sin has a goal, there's a goal to sin. In James chapter 1, verse 14, James says it like this, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Lot, drawn away by his own desires. He was enticed. It looked good. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Desire turns into sin. Sin grows up to be death. And that's what was happening with Lot. Spiritual death was happening to Lot in his life, and it can easily happen to us. See, Lot started off righteous. If you're still there in James, um, flip over a couple pages to Second Peter. Lot was declared righteous, and we talked about this a little bit, but I want to uh, look at the specific verse here in Second Peter chapter two, verse six. It says. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live godly. And delivered righteous Lot, okay, remember, righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. This is interesting. We don't really see this character of Lot in the text. Okay, we see the compromise of Lot, but we see the Bible tells us, comparing spiritual things to spiritual things, comparing Scripture to Scripture, that Lot was righteous and he was tormented living in Sodom. But we know that though Lot was righteous, he was living in compromise. See, Lot hated what was happening around him. 
But there had to be something about him that liked it because he was drawn to Sodom and he stayed there. Now, we know Sodom hated what was happening and the sin that was happening, but we don't see anyone else be declared righteous in Sodom or delivered from Sodom. So what does that mean? He wasn't effective in the ministry. He wasn't effective in the communication of who God is. See, Lot's declared righteous by faith. He believes in God. But why isn't that spreading? I think there's two parts of it. One we'll talk about later in the text. But I believe his lack of moral authority robbed him of opportunity. He was in compromise and he didn't have the confidence always to speak up and speak out about the things of God. That ever happen in your life? You find yourself struggling with something specific? And you're like, man, I really want to share the gospel with this person, but dude, I don't, I'm struggling with sin. How can I share this thing with these people? How can I preach a message when I'm struggling with this thing? It's interesting. Um, the Lord checks me on stuff like this all the time. <laughs> it will happen time and time again where, not time and time again, it happens every once in a while. Don't judge me. <laughs> Where I'll have, I'll have a, 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 an argument with my wife about something. It could be about puppies. It could be about anything. It could be about dishes. It could be about anything, right? It's like the enemy tries to like come in and attack, and it always happens to be like right before I'm going to teach or something. This would always seem to happen at the Bible college last term. We'd go down the mountain, and there's just a lot going on, and yada, yada, yada. We're in the middle of a Patmos term. And I would have this, if there was an argument or something happened, I would have this deep conviction that I couldn't even go back to my notes and study until this thing was settled. Because I can't go and communicate and preach the Word until this, because if this is in my head and in my heart, I'm not going to be effective in ministry. I'm not going to want to take advantage of the opportunity, so I have to take care of this. Babe, and she could tell you how many times it would happen. Babe, I just need to talk to you. We need to pray together. We need to figure this thing out. Because I have to teach and I need to take advantage of this opportunity and I can't do it till things are settled. Right? We're on the same page. We're in the same place. Because that's what happens when we don't establish moral authority. When we're in compromise, it robs us of ministry opportunity. We don't have the confidence to do what God's called us to do. Because Lot could have used, God could have used Lot greatly in this place, in this time. You remember um, the conclusion that we came to in the last thing. If ten are righteous... If ten are declared righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, God was not going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Just ten people. That's it. That's all it would have taken. But it didn't happen. And one of the main reasons it didn't happen is because Lot was in compromise. Genesis chapter 19, verse 2. I promise we'll get through the rest of this faster than that first verse. Genesis chapter 19, verse 2, says, And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So we see uh, this servant's heart of Lot, right? He's like, hey, you don't want to spend the night outside because there's some bad people out there. Come and stay at my house. I want to serve you. He insisted strongly. So we see there's some, uh, a remnant of some goodness here in Lot. Picking it up in verse 4, it says, Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Interesting, right? They want to know these two angels carnally. What does that mean? They want to have sex with them. Okay, Sodomy, we get that from Sodom and what would happen there. They, there's a huge struggle with sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality. And God is judging this place, and this is one of the main sins that He's judging it for. Homosexuality in the Bible is a sin. But it's not the only sin. And there are many other sins. 
And I just want to take a moment and, and focus on this for just a second. I think sometimes as the church, we can pick out specific sins and focus on those because there are certain sins that are an abomination to God. Absolutely, and he makes that clear in his word. And we're going to look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to flip ahead. But sometimes we can pinpoint specific sins and almost assume that the people that commit those sins are so far from grace, there's no opportunity for redemption for those specific people. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. We see this list that Paul writes down of these specific sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we see homosexuality in there, but is there anything, any one of those things listed that you've ever been able to relate to? What about covetousness? What about thievery? What about adultery? Remember, Jesus says adultery is a heart thing. It's not just an external thing. Is there anything here that you can identify with? Because it's listed in there. But then look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's hope for anyone on that list. Such were some of you. The people in the church of Corinth, hey, <laughs> they were struggling. Okay, And Paul makes that very clear throughout his epistles to them. But he says, hey, you were these things, but you're not anymore. So often... And I've had conversations with, with um, many homosexuals. I've shared the gospel with homosexuals. I've, I've, um, I have many friends that used to have a homosexual lifestyle that loved Jesus. So often people will say, and I would get this all the time when i go back home, people would always try to like stump me on the more difficult things. Um, what do you think about homosexuality? Well, it's, it's a sin. But... People were born that way. Like they were born with the homosexual tendencies. Now, I won't even argue about that. Because different studies say different things. I won't, even, I won't even feed into that. The reality of it is the Bible says that we're all predisposed to sin. We were all born into sin. Certain people have different struggles than other people. But this is the reality. I could say, I was predisposed to addiction. I was born with an addictive personality and I can continue to be a drug addict because I was born that way. That's just part of my makeup. Predisposed to sin. Predisposition to sin is not a legitimate excuse to continue in sin. That's just the reality of it. I know so many people in the church that have been delivered from homosexual lifestyles. Completely de delivered. Like, don't even struggle with it anymore. I also know people in the church that still struggle with it. And it's a huge thing. But this is the reality. The love of Christ can compel us to overcome any sin. Any sin. It doesn't matter what it is. So even these sodomites, the love of Christ, the love of God could compel them to overcome this thing. And in our society, when this is being accepted more and more, I think it's easy to take the, okay, I'm on this side, and yes, I say stand against sin in every situation. But we can stand so far on one side that it comes off so judgmental that people don't see the love of Christ. They just see the truth. Because we're always saying, hey, in the Bible it says it's sin. But wait, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, not just speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. And if they can see the love of Christ in us, that might just be the very thing that brings them to the Lord. Picking it up in verse 6. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, 
and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Okay, Lot, come on. Really? Lot's compromise is obvious here. Now, culturally, uh, we know that a man was supposed to do whatever it took to uh, protect those who um, he was bringing into his home. Okay, he's really supposed to do do whatever it took, but right? go by by any means protect them. But this, come on, this isn't okay, and there's no way to justify what Lot's doing here. This lapse of judgment nearly cost Lot both of his daughters. This brings me to my second point. Compromise comes with consequences. And we're going to talk about that. It connects to the next little section here. We're going to see some of the consequences of of Lot's compromise. He was willing to allow his daughters to be raped and potentially murdered. And there were so many other consequences that he faced and that we faced when we choose to live in compromise. Look what happens in verse 9. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with him. So they pressed hard against the man, Lot. They pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. See, the response of these people, listen to what they said. They said, he, keeps, he came and lived here in Sodom, and he keeps acting as a judge. What does that mean? That, that he's trying to, to speak some truth to them. He's trying to tell them what's right and wrong. So we see that Lot is perceived as, as a judge, like somebody that, that can discern what's good and what's bad. So he had some wisdom, he had some counsel that he tried to communicate, but he's in compromise. Again, this compromise cost him his ministry opportunity. These people aren't receiving what he has to say because he's living in Sodom. He's living in compromise himself. How are we going to listen to this guy when he's willing to just give us his virgin daughters? Really? We're going to listen to this dude? He speaks about what's right all the time, but does his life really portray that? Does he have moral authority? So we see it cost him ministry opportunities as we discussed before. Picking it up in verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So these men are trying to get into the house. Lot takes matters into his own hands. He tries to give up his daughters. He's settling for a consequence that wasn't even necessary. And so often we do that when we're Walking and living in compromise. We'll settle for consequences that aren't even necessary. He's trying to take matters into his own hands. Hey, I know what will stop him. Give him the daughters. But the whole time, God had a plan and was going to protect Lot and his family all along. See, when we're in compromise, we start to trust in ourselves and we're not trusting in the Lord. Think about this. So when, when we sin when we're living in compromise, we tend to think that because we're not walking uprightly, God's not going to protect us. That He's not going to take care of us. I'm living in sin. I'm in compromise. God's not going to... I got to trust in myself. I can't trust in God. Lot, you have two angels sitting in front of you. They're there to protect you. We see they blind the men. They do protect them. But Lot was willing to settle in giving up his daughters in their virginity and possibly their lives. He's not trusting in the Lord. And we know Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, you write it down, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. He's taking matters into His own hands. He's trying to trust Himself and He's not trusting the Lord when all along the Lord had sent these angels to protect him. Angels blind the men. Genesis 19, 
verse 12, says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his son-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Now, these are his son-in-laws. Wait, they're married. I thought they were virgins. Yes, it's both. They're betrothed to be married. They haven't sealed the deal. It's like it's an official thing that's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. So they are his son-in-laws, but the women are still virgins. But look what happens. These men, the sons, he tries to warn the sons, and the sons think that he's joking. Why? Could be one of two things. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe they think he's joking because... Lot's compromise and the compromise that's in Lot's life. They're not receiving the truth from him. They're like, dude, you old man, you're just saying this stuff. You're always saying stuff. But we know that the sons are in in compromise too because they're going to be judged with the rest of Sodom. And this seems to be the tendency that when we're in compromise, we have a real hard time hearing truth. Right? When we're living in sin, that fog, that lack of clarity, it comes in, we invite it. Bible says that our iniquity separates us from God. We can't hear Him as clearly. He doesn't hear us. We don't hear Him as clearly. There's a, a disconnect that happens, and I believe that's what's happening here with these two son-in-laws. They're not receiving the truth. The truth is screaming at Him, if you don't come with me, you're going to die. Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to come. I think you're joking. How many people have that response to you when you share the gospel with them? Because they're in sin. They don't hear the truth. There's blockage. There's a barrier. That was Jesus' ministry, right? Hearing they shall hear, seeing they shall see. But they're not really hearing and they're not really seeing. They can't perceive because they're in sin and they're blinded by it. See, the Bible says that, that pride is the root of all evil. Every sin that we commit, we can root it back to pride somehow, some way. And that's what's happening here. Pride. Like, yeah, whatever. Ever happen when you're in sin? It's not going to happen to me. I know you say that this judgment is coming, but it's not going to happen to me. It'll happen to everybody else but me, but it's not going to happen to me. They're blinded by pride. And they don't take heed to this warning to the truth, and it literally costs them their lives. Pick it up in... Genesis chapter 19, verse 15, says, When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they came... Sorry, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. But look, look at this. These two angels, they're hurrying him. They're urging him, come on, Lot, let's go. And look at what the first part of verse 16, it says, and while he lingered. Lot's lingering, why? He doesn't understand the weight of the message. See, there's a direct connection between compromise and complacency. They go hand in hand. When we're living in compromise, we're often very complacent to take heed to the truth. And when we're complacent, we have a t- tendency to live in compromise. It's exactly what happened to David, right? If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, David, paraphrase, was supposed to be out with his warriors, with his, with his soldiers fighting a battle. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Why? He gave in to comfort and complacency. I'd rather chill at the castle. I've earned my right. I'm the king. I can do what I want. I don't have to go fight the battle anymore. The battle's for Joab and the rest of the guys. And what happened? He gave in to that complacency. Next thing you know, he sees Bathsheba. A little bit of compromise. Set his eyes on it. It affected the way that he lived. He acted upon it. He slept with Bathsheba. Then he dug himself a deeper hole. She got pregnant. 
Now Uriah, what do we do about him? we got to kill him because he won't sleep with Bathsheba because he's loyal to the army. And now we have to have Uriah killed. And then what happens? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, he's approached by Nathan the prophet and the prophet gives him a parable about sheep. David recognizes his sin. He repents. He confesses. But with that confession, there's still a consequence. See, that baby that was birthed to Bathsheba, God says, okay, you're not going to die because the, the, the cost or the consequence for adultery was you should be killed. Both the man and the woman should be killed. That's the Levitical law. David wasn't killed. He was spared because he confessed. He received mercy. But that child that was to be born of Bathsheba, David's son, was killed. There was still a consequence for David's compromise. And David wept and he was devastated. The Lord forgave him. The Lord had mercy on him, but there was a devastating consequence for the sin and compromise in his life. And it all started with a little complacency. He wasn't where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. But it's so interesting how the Lord works and how merciful He is despite our complacency, despite our, mer- despite our compromise, we still see the Lord's mercy, both in that story and this, with this one. If you look back to Genesis chapter 19, verse 16, I'll read it again, that last part, it says, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. The Lord was still merciful to Lot, even in his compromise. Why? God's mercy is greater than our compromise. God's mercy uh, abounds such, so much more than our sin. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we should take advantage of it. You may have heard it said before, mercy or grace is for the fall, not for the jump. Okay? I don't jump into sin expecting God to catch me with His gracious and merciful arms. It's for the, I messed up. I, I shouldn't have done that. I wasn't expecting God's mercy. I made a mistake and I'm pleading with God for mercy. The Lord, nevertheless, still merciful to Lot, in his compromise. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. It says, So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. He's lingering, and they're like, you need to escape right now for your life, exclamation point. There's literally an exclamation point right there. If I told you to escape for your life, that would probably produce a sense of urgency in you, right? No, you need to leave right now. You ever had to run for your life? You've had to run from the cops before? Hopefully not. Maybe Adam's got some stories for us. I do too, but I'm not going to share them. (laughs) I'll share a different one. Running for your life, right? Maybe you've been chased by a wild animal up here. Likely, maybe. Maybe it's a sibling. Running for your life. There was a time when I was wakeboarding and I tried to do a trick and I fell and my brother hauls back to me and he's going fast and I'm like, hmm, something's not right. And he says with the calmest demeanor, bro, A six-foot spinner shark just jumped out of the water 15 feet behind you. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. I swam so fast with a wakeboard on. I kicked that thing off. I was in the boat in seconds. I've never swam that fast. I, I think I could be in the Olympics for how fast I swam in that time period. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't look back. I wasn't trying to see that thing. And that's exactly what they tell him. Don't look behind you. If you're running for your life, you don't have time to look behind you. Do not look behind you. Don't look back. Look forward. If you're looking back, then you can't see what's right in front of you. You're focused on what was and not what is. You're focused on your past life and not the delivered life that God has for you. Jesus says it like this in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. He says, "...in anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back 
not fit for the kingdom. He wants us to set our eyes on where God's taking us and not where we've been. When we get so focused on the past, we rob ourselves of the future. I'm sure many of you, it's so funny because Kevin and I were just talking about this. <laughs> it always tends to happen. Between Mike and Kevin, we pretty much go through my sermon and a conversation before it even, even happens. But we can look at our past lives and say, man, I could have done this, I could have done that. And we can focus so much on the past that we rob ourselves of what God has for us now. Man, I really thought that I was going to play professional baseball. I really did. When I was 20 years old, after that, I had a bunch of injuries, gave up on that dream. At 20 years old, I was a restaurant manager and a partial owner of a restaurant at 20. My dad was going to buy five franchises. I was going to own a piece of all of them. Man, I could have been a multimillionaire at this point. The reality of it is, if I would have done either one of those things, I probably would have been dead because I didn't know the Lord. Right, But we can look at what could have been, what would have happened, the life we had there, and it can rob us from the life that God has for us now. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. He says, Not that I've already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's not just speaking of the sins. He's not just speaking of his past life. He's speaking of the good things too. He's like, I'm not even focused on anything that I did in the past. I'm focused on the goal. The goal is Jesus. My goal, my focus is to get to where Jesus is calling me. I'm not being distracted by the things in the past. I'm focused on where the Lord is taking me. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not supposed to consider and be thankful for everything God delivered you from because we absolutely should. But when we get distracted by what could have been, we need to forget those things and put our focus back on the Lord. And that's what they tell them. Don't look back. Then it says, verse 18, Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, Verse 19, Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying, you're delivering me from Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment, but I'm scared of the mountains. I'm afraid you're not going to deliver me from the evil that happens in the mountains. like, dude, are you serious? At this point, the fire might be coming down. And Lot's like, uh... Yeah, thanks for this, but uh, I don't, I, I don't want to go to the mountains. I'm scared of the mountains. Are you kidding me? This brings me to the third point. Compromise kills your ability to reason. Compromise kills your ability to reason. Lot should have died in Sodom, but God saved him. If God saved him from Sodom and Gomorrah, I think He could save him from the evil that's in the mountains, Right? Pretty sure he could. What is Lot thinking? I don't know. He's in compromise. He's not thinking. But we can sometimes do the same thing. Man, God, you bailed me out of my addictive lifestyle, but I don't know if you can bail me out of these mountainous problems I'm dealing with now. You delivered me from that, but I don't know if you can deliver me from the smaller thing. It's like, dude, are you serious? What are you thinking? If God delivered you from Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the epitome and example of judgment throughout the Bible, He can deliver you from the evil that's in the mountains. If He delivered you from that big thing, He can definitely deliver you from this little thing. See, I believe Lot is confused, obviously because he's in compromise, but also because he doesn't understand who God is. God's mercy endures forever. It's not a one-time thing. God is mercy. He doesn't just give mercy. That's who He is. When God reveals Himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. The very first word that He uses in revealing Himself to Moses, before the, this is after the I Am, when He's proclaiming the name of the Lord in that context, mercy. God is mercy. 
He gives mercy because He is mercy. His mercy endures forever. But Lot, he's still scared of the mountains. And look what he says in verse 20. See now, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. He's arguing. He's pleading. He says, God, uh, let me escape here. Now we can be confident of this. Point four, God will make a way to escape compromise. God will make a way to escape compromise. He's, he's paving the way for Lot and his family to escape compromise, but, but Lot, he's so stuck in his compromise that he's trying to make the way of escape his own way. Right? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God's not going to let us be tempted. When we are tempted, look for the way of escape. Lot, he's not looking to the way of escape that God provided. He's trying to find his own means to escape because he's afraid of the mountain. I'd rather go to the city that's just outside of Sodom. I just want to get away from Sodom. I want to get away from the compromise, but I want to still be like close to it. God's like, no, you have to get so far away from the compromise, you need to go to the mountains. And Lot argues and he says, please allow me to just go to the city. God will make a way of escape. Maybe not many ways, He will make a way. That's what He promises. Lot's trying to find another way. We have to look for God's way of escape and not our own. If we're still trying to find our own way of escape, we're still in compromise. It's like this. God may have told you to cut something out of your life and you're like, I'll fast from it for a week. You ever do that? God's like, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you to just live outside of the sin in a little, for a little while so that you can go back in it later when it feels convenient and comfortable. You need to get so far away from it, you need to climb this mountain because it's going to take that much effort and energy for you to get rid of this thing. But we'll say, eh, I'll cut it out of my life for a little bit. could be social media. I'm not against social media, but it could be that thing. It's like, man, I'm sorry. It could, be, it could be the internet in general. It could be certain websites in general. It could be certain sin struggles that God's asked you to cut out of your life. And I know the Lord, He convicts, and you know maybe each of us have that area, but He's asking us, no, I, I don't want you to just go in the city outside of Sodom. You need to get to the mountains. Take my way of escape, not your own. If you take your own way of escape, you're probably going to fall back into the temptation. But we see, nevertheless, because God's so merciful and gracious, He allows Lot to continue in his own way of escape. Picking it up in verse 21. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. So we see that God's going to give him some time before the uh, fire really starts falling, but God gives him over to his own way of escape. This wasn't God's perfect will. God wanted him to go to the mountain immediately, but we have the tendency, we try to make God's will our own will. It's like, well, I can escape this way, right? And he gives him over to that. He lets him, he allows him to escape to Zor. Now look what happens in verse 23. It says, The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The wife looked back. She was told not to look back. She was looking back at what was. This word, look back, it's also beheld. She beheld it. Okay, and there's a lot of different opinions about what this is. Some suggest that she kind of like 
meandered a little bit, lingered a little bit, and she got caught up in it. But the word is really synonymous with beheld. She was focused on it. She was longing for it. She was captivated by it. She was wanting it to still be there. It's being destroyed, and it's the thing that she loves. It's a representation of the sinful lifestyle that she was in. She beheld this thing, and it resulted in her death. In Luke chapter 17, we see Jesus speaking of the end times. Um, if you want to write it down, verses 28 to 33, but I'll just explain for time's sake. Um, he's speaking of the end times. And he's, A man will be caught in his field. Uh, one will be taken away, the other left. He's talking about all these different things. There's a lot to it. And then he says, one verse, remember Lot's wife. So he says, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because she looked back at the things of the world and she desired it, she longed for it, and it cost her her life. It literally cost her her life. He says, such will be the time when the Son of Man returns. Don't be so focused on the things of the, war, things of the world that you're not living for the things of the Lord. Verse 27 this last part, we'll finish quickly. Just about there. It says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and beheld, behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow and he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. So God remembered Abraham, and God answered Abraham according to that conversation before. See, he knew God's, that Abraham's heart was for his family. So God found a way to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because there wasn't ten righteous, but deliver Lot and his family. He had a creative way of doing that. Verse 30, it says, Then Lot went up out of Zoar, and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him. This story is crazy. For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him, that he may preserve the lineage of your father. Then... They made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with the child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. Fifth and final point, I'll explain. Compromise ends in demise. Compromise ends in demise. We talked about it before in James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. Desire turns into sin. Sin matures into death. And you're just going to have to follow me because we're going to talk a little bit about the Moabites. But think about this it must not have been very hard for those daughters to get Lot to drink the wine. doesn't like say that they tied him down and forced it down his throat. It says that he didn't know that he slept with them. It didn't say that he didn't, they didn't know, he didn't know that he drank the wine. There had to be some willingness in Lot to drink the wine. See, there's compromise. He raised his daughters. His daughters are uncompromised. This is is just a, a, a twisted story. But Lot's willing to take that first step into that first sin, and he gets drunk with the wine. The only sins that we commit are the ones that we're willing to commit. And that's where it started. And he starts there. Then this sin leads to a, a huge problem. right? He has these two sons. 
who birthed these nations, the Ammonites and the Moabites. We could talk about both of them for a while, but the Moabites and the Ammonites throughout history in Israel, these are, these are against the nation of Israel. They cause a lot of problems for the nation of Israel. The Moabites, if you remember in Exodus, they're the ones that persuade the Israelite men to sleep with them. You remember the story of Balak and Balaam, right? So they persuade the men, the Israelite men, to sleep with these Moabites. And what did it do? It defiled their lineage. Those people that were born from that, they were cut off from the nation because they weren't pure. They weren't of the line of Abraham. They were cut off from the family of God in a sense. And that's really the exhortation to us that compromise, it leads to our spiritual death. And that's where Lot finds himself. And I'm not speaking of salvation. I'm talking about the life that God wants for us in Him. See, compromise, it doesn't just affect us. It affects our friends. It affects our family. It affects our community. And we even see in this text, it affects a nation. It can affect a nation. It can affect multiple nations. Now, we would never think, my sin, my compromise, it's not going to really affect more than me and maybe a couple people in Lot's case. It literally affected nations to this day. All because of compromise. See, Lot, he was righteous, but he was also living in sin. God was faithful to give Lot a way of escape from his compromise. God is faithful to give us a way of escape, but we have to be faithful to walk in that way of escape. And Jesus gives us the way. He gives us the truth. He gives us the life in the Scriptures. But even in our personal lives, if we find ourselves in compromise, in a tempting situation, look for the way of escape. God is faithful to provide it. We have to be faithful to walk through it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, God, in um, this story. Lord, Sodom and Gomorrah, there's so much warning there. And... Uh, the, the lifestyles that were lived there, um, but even the compromise in Lot's life. And, and it's a picture of, uh, of us, those that you declare righteous by faith, that we can find ourselves um, setting our eyes on things, living too close to temptation, falling into sin and not even knowing how we got there. God, but you're faithful to make a way of escape. And if we trust you, you can lead us out of anything. Lord, your mercy endures forever. Your hand is extended always. And if we would just reach out our hand and allow you to provide that way, God, we know that you're faithful to bring us out of any situation we find ourselves in. So we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.